I have been um, the last few weeks with this Mary Oliver poem going in my mind. It's a really it's wild geese. I think I probably quoted it in this class. I've been speaking it a lot, and a lot of times when I have something just sort of looping in my head like repeatedly over a few weeks, it means there's some teaching there, some some lesson there. So I looked at the poem again, and I thought um, I would talk about the poem this morning about wild geese. And uh, some of you might have heard this poem many, many times, like I have. And so the invitation is to hear it as freshly as you can in this moment. And um, I'm going to just talk off this poem today because it's really beautiful. So Wild Geese by Mary Oliver. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese, high in the clean blue air, are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. So this first line, or the first couple lines, you do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. There's such a push in our culture to be a certain way, to be good, to appear a certain way, to measure up. There's success. Have you noticed this in our culture? This kind of must-be good enough, must-do more. The longer I teach, the more I hear from people this um, must-keep must must improving, this kind of perpetual self-improvement project that we're all on. And, of course, we want to improve ourselves. But there's a way where it becomes frantic. It becomes frantic and compulsive. And that we forget our own innate goodness, our own innate preciousness and beauty. You don't have to walk on your knees through 100 miles of the desert, right? There's an innate worthiness here. There's an innate beauty here. So uh, some of you might know Howie. Do you know Howie Cohn? He teaches here. He, for a while, probably like six or seven years ago, um, would tell these stories about his daughter. His daughter's 13 now, maybe 14, 13. Um, But he would tell these, um, in his Dharma talks, these stories about his daughter. His daughter's name is Molly. And he would talk about her when she was three or four. And he would talk about her like, oh, she was perfectly Molly. 
Like she was perfectly herself, like complete molliness that showed up. And it didn't mean that she wasn't without flaws or, right? But there's this kind of beauty in the molliness of Molly. And it's the same for each of us, like a beauty of the pattiness of patty, right? Like, and I think we forget this in this compulsive achieving thing, this compulsive improving that there's a kind of beauty and perfection in each of us. And I don't mean perfect like without flaws, but perfect, like perfectly itself, perfectly Molly when she was three, right? Like perfectly yourself. Couldn't be any different. Um, you know, the Leonard Cohen quote, the, the crack is what lets the light in. So we all have personality flaws. But there's, there's a way where we can get so caught in this self-improvement and the walking on our knees in the desert that we forget, we forget the preciousness and the humanness. So my niece, she's another great example of, uh, her name is Phoebe, the Phoebe-ness of Phoebe. She's eight, and her hair is bright red and really long, and she wears it like Pippi Longstocking and braids. And she's really passionate and... Um, um, you know, she's she's. Uh, my parents would complain about her a little bit sometimes, right? But she's still perfectly Phoebe, because she's just like so passionate and red-haired and Phoebe-ness, and it's just so beautiful. And I think sometimes we forget to let ourselves off the hook and let ourselves be perfectly ourselves, like nature. So when we go in nature, I think this is one of the reasons why it's so peaceful, because we're not worried about the oak tree having its limbs slightly askew or the flowers being not exactly the way we thought they should be in the way that we do to ourselves and we do to each other where we're just much more open and receptive like we don't have to walk on our knees for a hundred miles repenting we can ourselves um, and see the preciousness in that So there's, do you all know Kristen Neff? Kristen Neff, she's a teacher in this lineage, and she's also a university professor, I think the University of Texas. And she's done a lot of research, like Western research, on self-compassion and how actually we're more resilient. We're actually more resilient when we have self-compassion rather than self-criticism or even self-esteem. So you think about self-esteem is really based on performing a certain way, on this idea of being and doing up to a certain level, and that that leads to a kind of brittleness, because when we fail or something happens, um, there's not as much resiliency. And this idea of really self-compassion, of loving ourselves, who we are, how we are, from there we have more resiliency, more capacity to acknowledge our own mistakes, to move forward. I think that's so interesting that science is showing us that too, this ancient practice of self-compassion. That there is a kind of uh, dignity and worthiness of this human experience, of this human life. It's not based on how well we're performing, how well we're measuring up. Um, Because... Because that's a faulty understanding. If we're waiting to measure up to whatever it is that we think we have to measure up to, to be good enough, to be worthy, um, 
We could be waiting a while, one. And then two, circumstances can change. As far as I can tell, none of us has control over all the circumstances. So if you're waiting to have the right job to be worthy or good enough, and then you get laid off due to circumstances beyond your control, right? So there's a kind of worthiness and dignity of this human heart, the preciousness of this human heart. That we don't have to be on this rat trap. It's samsara, right? This wheel where we're circling, circling, circling. Of course we're going to try and improve ourselves, but without the desperation, without the self-hatred. I think about this even with meditation practice, how we can come to meditation practice and um, it can be a half hour or ten minutes or however long your meditation is or maybe a full retreat of trying to get better at meditating or trying to improve yourself. Um, This kind of perpetual self-improvement project. So meditation can be this dance between the effort and ease. And so of course we make effort, but the effort isn't based on this need to be improved and um, better and better and better and better. I think of this as very easy to see sometimes with exercise. Like I can go and do some exercise because it's uh, tending my body, tending my health. Or I can do the same activity, exercise, out of self-hatred. I ate too much. I judge my body. Right? Do you see how the same activity can come out of care or it can come out of that... A sense of having to repent and walk on my knees and be better and improve. And so the invitation is to remember you don't have to walk on your knees, that we can tend to our hearts and bodies out of love and care, not out of self-hatred. That there's a way where um, just understanding the nature of being a human with the tenderness in the heart, the frailties of the heart and the body, and accepting that, and accepting that in ourselves and each other. That we don't have to walk on our knees for a hundred miles through the desert, repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Um, Awakening, this is a path of awakening. This is a path of liberation, of freedom from suffering. It includes our bodies. We're so used to, in our culture, we're taught to dominate nature. I don't know if you've seen that in our culture, right? This dominating nature. And we then approach our spiritual practice in the same way. I'm going to dominate my body. I'm going to dominate my mind. Mindfulness is a way to control yourself, to manage yourself. But it's actually a misunderstanding that the practice itself is a practice of integrating body, heart, and mind together. So that it's not just the mind up here disconnected from the body, but the mind and the body and the heart wake up together. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. That we can um, bring our bodies with us, this precious, sacred body. This is one of the reasons why I am firmly committed to integrating yoga practices into, into my Dharma practice. Because sometimes when I sit, I don't know if this happens for you, everybody's different, but when I sit, there can be this disconnect, like this head idea. Are there turkeys over there? No? 
the little turkey. Yeah. There can be this head idea of what should happen when we meditate. Has that happened to you? Like, oh, this sh- I should be peaceful when I meditate, and I'm going to control myself to get that to happen. Instead, the invitation to allow the breath to adjust itself into ease, to allow the body to wake up. Let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Now, this isn't an invitation into self-indulgence to sitting on the couch and eating bonbons all day. You might think your body loves to do that. But really this uh, fine line, this path of practice, right? Letting our body love what it loves and also remembering that we do this out of care for ourselves. And sometimes when we care, it means get up off the couch, honey. Not out of self-improvement project, but out of care and love and respect for whatever happens rather than indulgence. And then the next line, tell me about despair yours, and I will tell you mine. The first noble truth, tell me about despair. This is that which is hard to bear. We all have parts of our lives that are hard to bear. We all have difficulties. And that these difficulties are a call uh, first to liberation. They're a door into the path of uh, the path of awakening. Sometimes when we have hardships in our lives, then we seek out places like Spirit Rock or other other Oh, that there is suffering, there is something that is hard to bear. And we want, to, we want the medicine for that. So this despair, of course, I would never wish despair on anybody, but it is a door into the path of liberation. It's also a door into compassion. A close friend who uh, was one of those really blessed people um, until she was about 50, like, she just, you know, like, you know, a lot of really joyful stuff happened in her life, a lot of great stuff. And then at 50, like, the divorce happened, her teenage daughter started having mental health issues, there was a death, her father died, like, all of this stuff. And um, it was such a hard time for her, but she's so much kinder as a person now. Not that she wasn't kind before, but, right, like, our, our despair, our troubles can soften us. They can also harden us and help us disconnect. But really, this is called the noble truth, this first noble truth of there is that which is hard to bear. It's a call for us to meet our suffering, to grow compassion, to grow the capacity to uh, bear witness so that we can be there for each other, so that we can offer compassion so that we can wake up. I think there's also something about this line, tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine. It's how we can see that everybody, everybody has that which is hard to bear. It's not a mistake. It's not your fault. We can look at, sort of we can nitpick and say, oh, this happened because I did this or I should have done that. But actually, like we can't control for... Uh, things that are difficult. We can't manage everything all the time and never have something that isn't difficult. So if something's difficult for you right now in your life or in the world, it's not 
or fault in the broader sense. That this is something that we all bear so that we can remember this. Often uh, when we have uh, troubles, it can we, we tell ourselves, I don't know, my mind will tell me, like, oh, poor me, nobody else has this problem, I have this problem, right? Or, or I can turn and see and look into the eye of another person and see that their heart, too, has difficulty. I can turn towards that connection. So this line is asking us to come together, to bear witness together, that, that we... each other through troubling times. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the world goes on. So, um, I was totally devastated, but also just in shock when Trump won. Like, so I'm going out there with my politics. Um, and then I woke up the next day and had to make breakfast and had to go teach a yoga class. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Have you noticed that? Even in the most difficult times, and then there's the next moment. The world goes on. We have to go to the bathroom. We have to feed ourselves. We have to take care of our children if we have children. Meanwhile, the world goes on. This, in a way, can give us comfort that because this moment is happening, the next moment is happening, that we're held in this river of time, that it's bigger than just this moment, that, that life continues. Meanwhile, the world goes on. The sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. The world goes on. The storm comes, the storm goes. That we are actually held in this web of life. That we are not separate from the rain. That we're not separate from the world. The world does go on. There's a bigger picture. I feel this sometimes when I go... Um, to the beach on a cliff, or actually if I walk way up the hill here at Spirit Rock, and you can just see, you can see the vastness. The world does go on, and the sun comes, the sun this morning has come and gone, and the rain comes and goes, and that we're held in this web of nature. Sometimes when I go camping, if I'm going backpacking, I've got my little water filter, and if I'm by a creek or a lake for a few days... After a few days, I'm 70% creek or lake. I feel like when I get my water from the tap, it doesn't feel quite as immediate. But the rain that just came out of the sky, that's the water that's in you. And that the minerals in your body, the minerals in your bones and your blood, that's the minerals in the earth because we take in the food and there's the cliche thing for a while back that I heard all the time was that we all are made of stardust. It's true. Like we are made of stardust. The world goes on and that we're held in this web of nature, of life, that we're not separate from nature.
Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. This is pointing to the practices of yoga and meditation, the teachings of the Buddha. It's a way for us to head home, a way for us to come back into our hearts. We come in feeling disconnected and achy and distracted. I mean, we are, there are a lot of words in the room, right? And then we come and we practice some yoga, we practice some meditation, we listen to some wisdom. Home. We're coming home into our hearts. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting. So, one of, a little mindfulness bell for me is when I'm going through my daily life and I feel really adult and dull, I know I've lost mindfulness. I've lost the home in my heart of mindfulness and compassion and waking up. That when I have a sense of, yeah, today is going to be just like yesterday and tomorrow is going to be just like today. Does this happen to any of you? Like we think we know what's going to happen because it happened before and we've been on this road before. We think we know what's going to happen. We've lost. We've lost that connection to the world offering itself to you in, it, in your imagination. That the freshness of this path, the freshness that arises with mindfulness is an invitation into the possibilities of anything happening. I talked about this actually a couple of weeks ago or maybe just last week, moving beyond pessimism. If we're pessimistic, we think we know what's going to happen and it's going to be bad. If we're optimistic, we think we know what's going to happen and it's going to be good. But the invitation on these practices is to move beyond that into the um, middle way where the freshness of anything could happen at any time, we don't know. The world offers itself to your imagination. There is a sacredness to your journey, what you're here on this earth for, what your heart is learning. That, That can get lost in the humdrum of daily life. And that's why we reconnect. We reconnect with presence to remember that the world is full of possibilities, that your life is full of possibility. So, um, this uh, last year, last year in August, I mean, I've always lived in my adult life, I'd always lived in rentals. Always uh, lived in rentals forever. And then last August, not last August, but the year before, I had never even considered that I could buy a house because I live in the Bay Area and I'm a yoga and Dharma teacher. And I just thought, well, whatever, I'm just going to rent for the rest of my life. Um, it just wasn't even a possibility, right, that I could buy a house. So the landlord raised my rent and I got very indignant and was like, okay, I'm going to buy a house. By December, I had bought a house. <laughs> So this sense of actually we don't know what's going to happen. We, we just don't know. Like the world offers itself to your imagination. Like maybe like something could happen. 
at any time because something's always happening at any time. So the world offers itself to your imagination. You never know. You could be a homeowner in a few months or like whatever that might be, like that sense of possibility. And then the last line... Um, Okay, so the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting, over and over announcing your place in the family of things. I think this is pointing back to the sense that um, we're held in the web of life. Like, there is a place for you in this world. If you're here, there's a place for you, and there's an importance to your life. What we do matters. How we are in the world matters. How we tend to our hearts matter. How we tend to each other matters. That there is a place. Of, um, we are part, inseparable. This very class this morning, wouldn't it be this very class if you weren't here? And if you weren't here, everything would be different. Not necessarily. We are held in this life. What we do is important. And that we arise because your parents met, you're here. And because their parents met, there's actually no beginning moment that everything arises because everything else arose. You wouldn't be here. I mean, there's so many different things, like how you first heard of yoga and dharma, or like there's so, if you really start to look at like all the things that led to this moment, it's unfathomable, right? Like all the little things. That's my talk. I want to read the whole poem again. Okay? And then we'll close. You do not have to be good. You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love what it loves. Tell me about despair, yours, and I will tell you mine. Meanwhile, the world goes on. Meanwhile, the sun and the clear pebbles of the rain are moving across the landscapes, over the prairies and the deep trees, the mountains and the rivers. Meanwhile, the wild geese high in the clean blue air are heading home again. Whoever you are, no matter how lonely, the world offers itself to your imagination, calls to you like the wild geese, harsh and exciting over and over, announcing your place in the family of things. May you be safe and protected from both inner and outer harm. May you be as healthy and strong as possible. May you be held in an ocean of compassion. And may your heart know liberation. Are there any benefits to this practice, any goodness arising, any merits? Let's offer that, those uh, blessings out into the world. May all beings everywhere know peace and the causes of peace. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.